Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Cyber. On today's show, we have Monica Verma. Monica just started uh, a new role as the CISO for the Norwegian Directorate of Health. Uh, prior to that, she was the CISO at a couple other firms and, and organizations throughout Norway and, and other places in Europe. Uh, for example, Tieto Evry, PwC, and Norges Bank, which is actually the central bank uh, of Norway. Now, Monica and I got in touch uh, through LinkedIn, uh, as well as the podcast that she runs called Monica Talk Cyber. And when Monica and I were prepping and ultimately what I wanted to cover uh, with her today is an understanding of how does she really structure and approach the conversations that she has with various executives and, and business leaders. And what Monica lays out and why I'm really excited about this episode is an incredibly structured way of thinking um, for how to approach these conversations. Um, sort of one level deeper than that, she also talks a lot about her attitude and her mindset for the challenge um, that is communicating with folks who don't necessarily think about security day in and day out. So really an incredible conversation. Uh, really grateful that Monica was able to, uh, to sit down with me uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, if you want to hear any more from Monica, uh, you can check her out on her website at monicatalkcyber.com. Like I mentioned a bit ago, she has uh, a podcast that she runs as well as a, a number of video series that, that she posts uh, on the website and, and on YouTube as well. Now, without any further ado, uh, I will hand it over and introduce Monica Verma, CISO at the Norwegian Directorate of Health. Well, the party is off to a good start. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Great. Well, as a way of kicking us off, could you please tell us maybe a little bit about yourself, your background, and sort of your story for how you got into security? Yeah, it actually goes way before. Um, I actually got an interest in technology when I was almost a kid at around 10 years old, when I saw the inside of a cockpit for the very first time, because I was flying to the States and I was sitting in the very front row with my father and the pilot came out and he just saw a kid and he just goes like, hey, do you want to see the cockpit? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I was anticipating a fantastic view from the cockpit. But when I stepped in, the first thing that, I, that, that took my attention was actually all the technology in there. And, and I somehow got like very interested. I did not realize at that time how or what big impact it would have on my life, but it kind of did. Um, I kind of made two big goals for myself in life. One, to be able to fly at some point. Um, and I'll come back to that basically as well. But another thing was to work something and do something in technology, which made me uh, get to learning programming languages already in high school. And then in bachelor's during my studies in the university, I actually learned how you could like um, use or abuse code to do things that you would not want to originally do, which we now know as hacking, right? Um, that's how I actually got into security. I started learning cryptography and Jeremiah Grossman was one of my biggest um, um, role models for the, from the industry. 
And so much so that I convinced my university, my cryptography professor, who had no idea about web application security, and Jeremiah Grossman to be my external supervisor on a dissertation that I did on taxonomy from web application um, adversarial modeling. And, and that's how I started. So I started with being an ethical hacker. I worked as an ethical hacker for five, six years at Siemens in Germany. Now I live in Norway. And I switched from hacking to risk management because of the questions that I used to get at Siemens from the leaders. It's like, I don't understand what SQL injection. I don't care. Tell me you know, I can understand what, what, why do I care? And, and I learned that somehow the hard way, but very early on in my career is the reason why I decided to then go into different fields of risk management, cloud security. So I've basically done a little bit of everything, almost everything, like a lot of different fields in security. I've worked as head of cloud security. I still sit on the board of Cloud Security Alliance and um, sit in the board of women in cybersecurity. <laughs> I'm on podcast show, we talk cyber and do a lot of blogging. So the, 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 the path and journey went from very technical aspect into the business aspect. And today I talk a lot about resilience, both cyber resilience and operational resilience and how we can help actually the industry, especially critical infrastructure and society with it. Wow. I love that. And that sort of flight story from when you were a kid is, is so fascinating in terms of just how that like set off on, on the journey for uh, both flying and, and for technology. So I have to ask, have you become a pilot or have you flown a plane since then? No, but I have. So I have not really flown a plane alone yet, but this year, 2020, one of the biggest things happened is that I did my first uh, pilot or air flying test or like a preliminary test with a pilot. So, and in this corona period, we can't really travel anywhere. So obviously we had like all these precautions in place. You couldn't do more than like two people, three people max and with everything. So that was like a private flying experience that I had yeah. with the propeller aircraft. And that happened now recently, I think like a month ago or something. This was, this was my this year's birthday gift to me. So <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. This was the first time I did it. It's super expensive. It's kind of like I had very different... Um, expectation because if you've already if you just flew, flown with the jet aircraft that's nothing like flying with the propeller aircraft no. but i think somehow midway uh, while i was airborne i readjusted my expectations so landing was quite amazing <laughs> it went smoother than i thought yeah cool so maybe just to step back a bit towards sort of the progression you mentioned right from that experience where you sort of set your path for wanting to get into tech starting to study different programming languages and ultimately where you are today. Um, when you sort of look back and reflect on that experience, how have you seen maybe the security industry or even your role within security sort of evolve and, and mature? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have seen that evolution over the last years and decades, especially when it comes to more companies and business leaders understanding that they need a security leader to look at the overall strategy of cybersecurity and cyber risk management, that it's not enough with the um, security architects and engineers and pen testers. I mean, we need them, absolutely. They are absolutely essential to the industry. But one of the biggest evolution I've seen is, also in my role, is how many organizations have evolved from um, a pen testing team being the only security team in the organization. So 
So actually having a full-on three lines of defense model that people organize as the, the, the CISO and the CISO team being the second line of defense and the governance function, the security architects, the security champions, and the security managers that being the first line of defense in that sense that are actually implementing the uh, requirements set by the CISOs and the CISO team and, and then the auditors and the um, both internal and external. So this kind of evolution where 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 the security folks know or or where you the companies know that the CISO is not the only one responsible for security. Actually, it's the whole company and every employee. That I believe is the most powerful evolution we have seen in the last decade. And it's very important because it's not a one man or woman show. It definitely cannot work that way. A uh, really consistent observation, I would say, that I've, I've dug into with a lot of guests on the show. And it's always great to speak with sort of a security leader like yourself who maybe has sort of experienced it because the experiences may differ uh, underneath that broader theme. So a question within that is, you know, as a sort of head of security, right, who has to orchestrate across those different departments, how have you um, just sort of managed that, right, as a corporate executive, as a leader, um, needing to manage teams sort of across multiple departments? Like, how has that evolution been for you as a leader? Well, there are a couple of key things here that I have incorporated in my style of working. First of all, understanding that I'm a business CISO. My job is not to sit and do every technical operational work. That's not my job. Having an understanding and being okay with it is difficult when you come from a technology background to not do things that you have done uh, originally that you love doing. I still love doing hacking, but if I spend all my time sitting in hacking, then I will not be able to help the business leaders and the organization the way I want to. So you kind of have to give that away a little bit and understand that it's not it's not your, you have to be okay with delegating. That's number one. Number two is the whole aspect of communication and basically embracing the communication with different kinds of people. So you have to be open. You have to be open to the fact that people outside the security world don't care about security or think about security as a part of the second nature. That's not how it happens and that's okay. So you have to have that kind of patience. You have to have that kind of openness and compassion for those people that it's okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's also important is that I actually, for me, talking to non-security people is a very positive challenge. For me, I'm not like, oh my God, I don't wanna do this, you know? Oh my God, I have to talk to another person who doesn't understand security. For me, actually, it's completely opposite. I love talking about security to non-security people in business world because for me, that gives a bigger purpose and meaning. I literally did a video, I think a month ago. It's a, it's a three-minute video. It's on my YouTube channel, Monica Talk Cyber, and where I talk about what is really the goal and the purpose of security. And this is important. I actually did a talk yesterday as well on it uh, at one of the security conferences in, in Norway where I say, we have talked about the goal of security. And usually when we ask about that, most of the security people go like, well, yeah, to secure systems, to secure infrastructure, to secure this asset and that asset and so on. Another typical answer that you get is to secure, well, to ensure confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And I say, well, the first part is basically a measure to achieve something. It's not really the goal of security. 
The second part where you talk about the CIA, and a lot of people will now not agree with me because we have learned and we have gone by, we swear by this, that CIA is the goal of security. But I would actually want to contest that and say, I believe it's really not. And hear me out why I say that. So to understand that, you have to take a step back. You have to ask the question, why do I want to secure asset systems, infrastructure, people, whatever, right? And also when it comes to CIA, why do I want to do that? And then we start having the dialogue and the conversation around what is the purpose of security, which in a very general term, so you can think about it as it is basically ensuring that a business and an organization or society continues to function whenever needed and all the times needed to the extent needed and only to the extent needed while we are managing the risks associated with it and the risks associated with the technology behind it in time and adequately. And that's the overall purpose of security. So you're basically providing a foundation for business leaders and for organizations to do better risk management. And I feel that is the bird's eye view every CISO needs to have when they're trying to help. And that's what I incorporate in my work style when I'm talking to these people. Yeah, I love that. Now, I know we don't have uh, a ton of time left, so I'm gonna start to maybe wrap it up with the last few questions. But before I do, and just to dig into that last point because it was sort of so structured and, and like well thought out in the response. One area that I'd love to maybe unpack a bit is that third point about um, sort of enjoying and even seeking out, if you will, sort of discussions with maybe non-security people. And the reason I'm intrigued by it is I know just from doing the show and you know, spending my days most of the time speaking with security leaders, that's sort of uncommon, right? A lot of the times it can be frustrating to talk with folks who are outside of the organization and maybe don't get security, at least to the full extent that we would like them to. So I'd love to better understand that from your perspective and maybe, um, you know, more specifically, is that just like a mindset you have? Are there tactics that you've used to maybe make that conversation easier or is it sort of a combination of things like that? Absolutely. So when I do these kind of conversations, I think the attitude that you're talking about is definitely the key, but that attitude has built over time. It's not something that I was born with. It's not something that I've had 10 years ago. There has been time, it has been a progression in my, in my communication or style over the years. In the beginning, it was frustrating for me as much as it was for everybody else, right? Yeah. So the point here is that this is an attitude that you can build and it takes time. That's number one. Number two, when I do communication, I use a lot of real life examples and I tailor them to my audience. That is absolutely important. If I'm talking to people that are working with, in, within the health sector or something, then I use examples where they talk about the safety of human beings and, and basically start from there, build the context and then talk about security, not the other way around. I do the same thing with, for example, if I'm doing um, talking about in the finance sector, I build the context, talk about what's happening in the finance sector, not from a security point of view, but from a digitalization point of view, from open banking point of view, all these things. And then I incorporate security into it because how this has been affecting. So the important key is to grab their attention into what they love first and then find a way to incorporate security into and talk about it. If you start with security and things that you love, you've lost your audience right away. Yeah, 
That's so important. So last question. Um, I'm curious to learn more about sort of your current role and, and your current company. Um, I know you mentioned during the introduction, you're the, uh, you're the CISO at uh, Tieto Every. So could you maybe tell us a little bit more about the company itself and, and your role and maybe how you tie in these sort of tactics into your, your role today? Uh, so I have to say that I can't really talk about my company. I'm not talking on their behalf. So maybe sure. you want to rephrase the question so I can answer my role. Yeah, sure. Even if you could just maybe for those of us who are uh, those in the audience who aren't familiar with uh, the company itself, just what does the company do and how do you view maybe one more specific question, just security sort of enabling um, very broadly uh, that organization's ambitions? Absolutely. So I can, yeah. I can talk on my opinions on my behalf, but not yeah. on the behalf of my company. This is important sure. to just say and clarify. Um, what I do see is that the organizations that I've worked for in general have um, a lot of service providing capabilities, digitalization capabilities that they provide to the customer. So ultimately what's been important so far has been the trust factor. The services that the companies provide usually to their customers, you have to build a trust with them. There are usually two things that are very important, the trust and the enablement and making everyday life of the customers very simple. And to do that, you kind of have to ensure that security is not a hindrance. It's not an obstacle. It doesn't serve as something that keeps on stopping the innovation digitalization, but something that supports innovation and digitalization. And that's been my basic major role in the CISO role that I am in today and also the leadership roles that I've had before. Um, I usually plan strategies for security, understanding very well enough what the business goals are and how the strategy will actually support that. Because ultimately what they provide to their customers is top priority in a trustworthy way, in a safe environment and in a simple way. So my key approach to this is a principle that I live uh, by every single day in my work, and that's simplify, focus, execute. You have to make security simple, and simple doesn't mean low maturity. It just means even if it's high maturity, it's still simple enough to understand and implement. Yeah. Focus is very important. You cannot do everything right away. Look at your risk profile, look at your threat landscape, and look at your business risk, and then tailor your program to that. Focus on the few good things and important critical things and do them well first. And third is execution. If you really are not executing it properly, then obviously you don't have anything in place. Sure. So that's what I live by in my work every day. Yeah, no, there's so much to learn from that. So I love it. Cool. So we're going to move into the last segments. Um, we call it the rapid fire round. Basically, I oh. ask you a quick question and you share whatever comes to mind. Sound good? Okay. Cool. Excited. So Let's do it. <laughs> So first one, what book are you reading right now? Oh, The Art of Seduction. Say that again. Art of Seduction. Okay, cool. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I've just started reading about it. It's it, it, the very beginning of it, but it actually talks about how you can influence people and convince people different types of personalities that are there. I usually love reading books that are not directly security related yeah. because these books help me understand how I can apply them to my career and my profession. Yeah. So this is the one that I'm reading right now. Cool. Next one is what's the worst piece of security advice you've ever received? Oh, um, we need to buy the SOC services because we must be compliant. 
I'm like, and they don't care about logging or monitoring. We just need a, we just need to sign a contract with SOC service provider because that's what we need to be compliant. Yeah, that'll solve all the problems. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have visibility. How how do you ex- expect the SOC services to help you if you don't have the right capabilities and visibility in your environment in the first place? Yeah. All right, last one. If you could go back in time and meet your 20-year-old self, uh, what advice would you give her? Be compassionate and kind and open to listening to different people's opinions. Love it. Cool. Well, Monica, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure to meet you and really appreciate you joining me on the show. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course.